0: Welcome to the Faith Covenant Podcast. We are glad you're here today. May God bless you in order for you to be a blessing to those around you. It is my pleasure to add my greeting to you this morning. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to worship at Faith Covenant Church today. Uh, before we get into the time of looking into God's Word and the message, I just want to take a moment to uh, bring an update on where we are at in our family ministry campaign. Uh, the campaign officially ends today. Uh, the, the bad news is that means that the time is short. The good news is that we still have time left because we have until midnight tonight, as far as I'm concerned, today is still today, right? Right. Uh, so I think we have a slide that shows kind of where our status of where we're at for the, the campaign update, maybe. Here we go. So we are at 72.5% of our goal, which is really phenomenal, $145,000, when you think that that represents essentially 40% of our regular givers. You guys have shown incredible generosity and commitment in stepping up and supporting this campaign. Uh, what I would just love to do is make a final appeal to the, re- the rest of the 60% out there. Uh, again, these are people who have been consistently regularly giving in the past year or two, uh, not necessarily newer people to the church, but if you're newer to the church, this might be an opportunity for you to step in and be involved as well. Uh, it's not too late. This is the final day. We're going to send out a, a final reminder this afternoon, and I think that what we've been saying from the beginning that is still true in my mind, if you think about that percentage, if 100% of our people would give even just a little bit that maybe they're able to give, even if it's not a lot, we believe that we could meet the goal of $200,000, because look what we've been able to do with just 40% of our people. So please, prayerfully consider, if you haven't participated yet, if you haven't prayed about it, take some time, ask God what He might have you do, and turn in a pledge card today. You can do that online through our website. There's a digital pledge card, even if it's just a one-time small gift as a way of saying, I want to be all in and supporting where God is leading us as a faith community. We really do believe that if we're all in it together, we can accomplish great things that God calls us to do. Amen? So be in prayer for that today as you go about your lunch and your afternoon and just pray that God would uh, bring the rest of the the people we need. Uh, The question is always going to be, what happens if we don't make it to our goal and our commitment? Uh, If you are part of our congregational meeting at the time, is that if we don't make it to the goal, 100% of $200,000, then we will come back together and say, okay, what does this mean and what do we now do? So in order to do that, we have scheduled a congregational meeting on Sunday, May 15th, right after the service, uh, where we're going to invite those who uh, can come back here on campus, or you can join online. We'll also have a Zoom option, uh, where between now and then, the the leadership team and the staff relations team, in partnership with the staff, will craft a, a recommendation of where we think we can go. We will publish that in advance of the meeting. Uh, so that when we come together on the 15th, uh, you'll kind of know the mind and the heart of your leaders, and then we'll be able to discuss and prayerfully decide how do we now move forward as a church. Does that sound good? So mark your calendars May 15th. Again, it'll be an important time to be together. Your voice is going to be needed, so we'd love for you to participate in the meeting on that Sunday, and we promise we will try and make it as brief as possible. (laughs) Before we turn our hearts and minds now to God's Word, I just want to invite you to pray with me. And just ask God to calm your spirit this morning. Let go of the anxiety and the worry and the concerns that you have come with today. Because those are the things that, that, that weigh on our souls. And often they're the things that get in the way of us being able to see clearly what God would want us to see. To hear the voice of the Spirit in our lives. And so we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to bring the peace of Christ to our hearts today. Holy Father, we do thank you that you love us like no one else can. And that you gave us the gift of your Son who gave his life to bring us back into relationship with you. And so we ask now, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you would bring your peace and the calm that comes from knowing that we live in the hands of Jesus and that we are forever forgiven and forever free. And that there is nothing that this world can do that we need fear. Because we already know that we have been born into new life in Christ. Speak to us through your word and through your spirit today. So that we can go from this place knowing not only that we have met with the living God this morning. But you have given us a call on our life to bring meaning and purpose and value and hope. To everything that we do, and to all of the relationships that you call us to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we are in week three today of our series that we are calling Reassembly Required, which is a kind of beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. And in this series, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know that we are recognizing that we as human beings are often better at starting and maybe even maintaining relationships than we are at knowing how to fix them when they get off track. When there's a conflict or a, a crack in our friendship or there's a, a strain in our marriage or in our family or with that co-worker at work or with our friends at school, we typically start to reach for the relationship management tools that we think are going to help us, but more often than not, they only make matters worse. Right? We introduced Uh, The C4 method of relationship management, where the tools that most of us reach for first are to convince, to convict, to coerce, and to control, all as ways to try and manage the situation that we're not comfortable with, that we don't want to be in, but we don't know what else to do to try and solve the problem once it's arisen. See, when a relationship isn't going well or it begins to fall apart, we feel like we have to try and manage the other person, right? The problem is when we try to manage one another, we simply manage to make it all worse. And when the four C's don't work, when when they seem to, to, to go from bad to worse in our relationship, we get more and more frustrated and we don't understand why everything that we're doing and all of the energy that we're putting into the relationship just doesn't seem to work. And what happens then is we begin to lock down emotionally because we feel locked out of the relationship. We start to shut down within ourselves and towards the other person because we feel shut out from the person that we're trying to connect with. It doesn't seem like it should be all that hard to reassemble and repair a relationship when it gets broken, but part of the problem is that too often we reach for all the wrong tools and we don't even realize that we're contributing to the brokenness of the relationship rather than making it better. And what we've identified in the process is that reassembling a broken relationship is a learned skill. It doesn't come naturally. We have to learn how to process the brokenness that is in the relationship as part of the brokenness of our humanity in this world so that we can learn from the model that God has given us of Jesus how we, too, can become people who learn how to reassemble the brokenness in our own life. Many of us have never seen it modeled in our own families of origin or in our own relationships or we've worked in dysfunctional and unhealthy workplaces and we live in a society that doesn't know how to do this well and we see the the four C's exposed in our society every day. All you have to do is watch the news or listen to the people talk at your workplace. The reality is we know Scientifically, we know, social scientists have have studied and have proven that the most important factor in human well-being and happiness is healthy interpersonal relationships. And yet, as we've talked about this, uh, we understand that this is also the heart of what Christianity is all about. This is the invitation that God has given us in his son Jesus to begin to understand that reassembling broken relationships is part of the call of Jesus to make disciples and to bring his good news message into a lost and a hurting world. This is what it begins to look like for us to follow Jesus and to live out our faith in every relationship that we have. And in that process, we've talked about how the goal is not reconciliation because we don't control all the pieces. We can't control what the other person is going to choose. On our side, for our humanity, we can't make the goal reconciliation because if it is, then what we're doing is we're creating an agenda for the other person, right? Because our expectation is that they're going to choose to do what we want them to do so we can reconcile the relationship. No, the goal isn't reconciliation. The goal is no regrets. Right? We need to learn to do everything the Bible tells us that is within our own power, as far as it depends on you, to keep the door open, to put the welcome mat out, to be willing to engage with people who are willing to respond in healthy and appropriate ways. So that we can honestly say that uh, we've done everything that we can to take responsibility for the things that are within our power to do. And in that process, what we have suggested is that there are four decisions that we can make as we learn to reassemble relationships that are in our control. Uh, The first one that we talked about last week that is modeled after God's love for you and for me and Jesus is, is that you can choose to get back to the other person rather than get back at. I can choose to get back to the other person rather than get back at them. You see, in every relational conflict, somebody is to blame, right? That's why there's a conflict. Somebody is messed up. Somebody's made a mistake. Somebody's done something wrong. Somebody's hurt somebody's feelings. Somebody's to blame, but if we're really honest about our perspective when we find ourselves in these situations, is that it's rarely you, right? I mean, we've already established that if they would just see see things your way, everything would be okay, right? Which assumes that they're the problem. They're the ones who are in the wrong. It's rarely us who is to blame. It's always the other person. However, if you think about it, and we begin with the first step to say that our sincere goal is to get back to, and to not get back at that other person, we also have to begin to recognize that in our human relationships with one another, there's often enough blame to go around. There's enough blame in the situation that we can each share a piece of the pie, but our tendency as human beings, right, is to, to seek to avoid blame. We don't like to, to choose blame. We don't like to accept responsibility. We like to deflect responsibility. In our own minds, at least, we're, we're trying to repair the relationship. We're, we're trying to, to help make it work. We've done everything in our power that we can think of to do. I'm the good guy here, right? Right? I'm well-intentioned. I'm trying to make things work. You're the one who isn't seeing the picture clearly, which means that we almost always focus our perspective not on ourselves, but on the other person. That's where we rehearse our story and we, we, talk, we think about what they've done wrong and we, we make our case and our argument for why we're the ones who are in the right and they're the ones who are in the wrong. But in every strained relationship, if you think about every broken situation or conflict that you've had, that I've had, there's almost always some responsibility that we have in contributing to the challenge Of reassembling the relationship once it's torn apart. If you think about the amount of blame that each person may be responsible for, you might think of a pie, right? The blame pie. And when something happens, when we find ourselves feeling hurt or upset, or, or betrayed and in conflict with another person, and we typically will go to the, our, our C4 toolbox, right? We'll want to convince or, or convict or coerce or control. What we are often doing is trying to serve up a heaping helping of blame pie for the other person. Right? In fact, as we've said before and we highlighted already this morning, our first impression, our tendency in our own hearts and our own minds is to assume and to believe that 100% of the pie should be on their plate. But what we often fail to see is that even if they are 100% to blame in causing the situation our own reactions, and our own responses contribute to the conflict, and we can become a part of the problem that prevents the relationship from being reassembled and re-repaired, which is what we say we want. Have you heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? I think it's also true that we learn from by the Bible and from our relationship with God that healed people, heal people. And so if you want to begin to learn the skill of reassembling broken relationships, you might have to consider that you may need to take a slice of the blame pie as well in order to find a way forward. But that's not intuitive, is it? That doesn't come naturally to us. That's not where we, we want to go emotionally. It's not our first inclination. Our natural inclination is to avoid blame and to focus the attention away from ourselves and to try and find any kinds of excuses that we can to not have to turn the lens inward and really take an honest look at who we are and what we may be contributing to the experience. So, when we find ourselves in conflict, we we generally fall into making one of three possible excuses I want to suggest for us this morning. The first reassembly excuse is I don't care. I don't care. Which might be true, but more often than not, when you find yourself thinking or even saying aloud, I don't care, it's usually a defense mechanism. And we should begin to pay attention to that because rarely as human beings do we say, I don't care about things that we don't really care about. Most often, I don't care actually means I feel powerless to do anything about the situation, but I wish I could. Things we can't do anything about but we wish we could are things that we usually care very deeply about. But when the healthy connection gets lost in our relationship, we become more unhealthy ourselves and we try and protect our hearts. And so we tell ourselves and we tell other people, I don't care. See, when you really do care about but decide that you don't, All that energy will go somewhere else. It'll go to another behavior where you try and feed the need, or it'll go to another relationship where you hope to find a healthier process than you're getting in the relationship that you have. Relationally, we can become our own worst enemies when we think we simply don't care. And when we fail to recognize that our own reactions and the own things going on in our own hearts and minds have actually become part of the problem, as we try to reassemble the relationship, it simply sets us up for history to repeat itself. So reassembly excuse number two. Number one is, I don't care. Number two is, I already tried. Didn't work, right? Been there, done that. I'm waiting on them now. The ball's in their court. See, the problem with I tried and I'm waiting on them is well, we've identified already that the goal really is no regrets. And so if the goal sincerely is no regrets, then we need to keep the door open and we need to keep the welcome mat out and we need to be willing to be people who are, are willing to, to, to go to them, to pursue them, and to keep trying. Now, again, we're assuming that this is not a, a toxic or an abusive situation that is unsafe and inappropriate. That's not what, what God would want us to do. But, but this idea of, of, of being a person who is seeking to reassemble a broken relationship means that it's both a posture that we take towards the other person, it's an attitude that we maintain in our own hearts, and it's a process that we're willing to pursue, which is why the very first of our reassembly decisions was so important. The first decision, again, is I will get back to rather than get back at. I'm not punishing, I'm pursuing. When we say I already tried, essentially it means I'm done. We've essentially undecided the first decision in the reassembly process. Right? So, our reassembly excuses, number one is, I don't care, therefore I'm not going to try. Number two, I already tried, therefore I'm not going to try again. Or number three is, hey, it wasn't my fault. Right? Therefore, it's not my responsibility. This is how our internal narrative plays itself out to try and protect us from having to look at those things within ourselves that maybe we need to be honest about as well, right? We rehearse our version of what happened and we conclude, hey, it wasn't my fault. I didn't start the fire. And the reality is that God would want you and me to know that that might be 100% true. But as far as God is concerned for you, it's beside the point. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, as we learned last week, reassembly begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. You see, our willingness to get back to and not to get back at means that we're willing to take the initiative to pursue the other person, even if it wasn't your fault. It's the healthier and the more mature person who should be willing to take the initiative and to make the first move and to model for the other person what God's love looks like as it's been revealed to us in Jesus. That's why we see that God made the first move toward you. God so loved the world that he moved in your direction, that he sent Jesus for you and for me, not to get back at you, but to get back to you. And then he's invited us to learn how to do the same in our own relationships with one another. To help us begin to do this and to ensure that we don't use the other person's behavior and that the choices that they make as an excuse for us to disengage from the reassembly process. You know, Jesus, he can be pesky with his questions, right? He asks us all a very challenging and sometimes irritating question Matthew 7 3 he says why do you look for the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or your sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye why are you only focused on what they did the things that they've chosen, that you have no control over, that you can't do anything about, but is where you're spending all of your time and your focus and your energy? And why are you unwilling to pay any attention to what you may have been contributing to the brokenness, which is the only thing that you can do something about? To which you may respond, well, to begin with Jesus, it isn't just a speck of sawdust, right? He lied to my face, She was so rude to me, it was hurtful. They walked out, not me. I didn't go anywhere, I'm still here. They're the ones who walked away. He won't accept any responsibility for his choices. Those aren't specs, Jesus. (laughs) And secondly, then we might think, you know, I think, Jesus, uh, you've received some bad intel on this one. I don't have a plank in my eye. Sure, nobody's perfect, but I didn't start the fire, he did. I can see clearly, she's the one who hurt me, I didn't hurt her. Clearly, it's not my fault, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. And if they were to ever see things clearly, the way I do, everything would be okay, You know, and if if they're willing to to change their heart and to change their mind, then I'm here. I'm around, I'm waiting on them. Thanks, Jesus, but you know, I just don't think you fully have a grasp of the full picture here. So what does Jesus do when we respond to his questions that way? Comes back with another question. (laughs) Verse four, how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that speck out of your eye When all the time, there's a plank in your own eye. You see, isn't it true that most often in our minds, we're thinking, let me fix you. Let me help you. I I see clearly, you're kind of obviously messed up, but if you would just listen to me, I could help you. I could help you get this figured out, and we'd be okay. Allow me to to tell you how to do it, and and, and everything's going to work out fine. I can see the situation clearly, and I know what you should do. But Jesus asks us to take a moment, to pause, to do some self-reflection. And Jesus says, how can you be so certain that you're actually seeing as clearly as you think you are? See, his point is this. You're not understanding how a healthy reassembly process works. You have things out of order. You're not really ready to pursue the reassembly process in the way that I've shown you how to do it. You may not see as clearly as you think you do, and you may have more work to do in your own soul and in your own spirit before you can truly be someone who can even hope to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. You see, all the time is a Greek term that literally means behold. And I I think about like the magician when he's doing his act on the stage, right? And he's getting it all set up and there's all this drama and there's probably music and then there's that moment when it's the, ta-da! There's the reveal, right? And the illusion is made and you're like, wow! And Jesus like, all the time, you think you see so clearly, you think you know what's going on, but if you pause for a moment, you wait and you look at yourself a little bit and you allow my word and my spirit to shine some light on the situation, ta-da, you've got a pretty big plank in that eye. <laughs> see, Jesus says, you think you can say to the other person, hey, I'm, I'm going to fix you. Let me help you. Let me fix you. Let me correct you. Let me tell you how you should be doing it when you might not realize that there are some things that are in you that are preventing you from seeing things as clearly as you think you do. And Jesus says, You hypocrite. Ouch. Jesus, that's not nice. See, he's saying you're just play acting. You're just pretending. You say you want to reassemble your relationships, but all the while, you're still simply trying to convince and convict and control and coerce. Jesus is saying that a healthy reassembly process with people with whom we are in disagreement and with whom we have conflict, with people who have legitimately hurt us and done us wrong, should always start by looking at ourselves first. That's why he goes on to say, first, take the plank out of your own eye. In other words, you have to identify your slice of the blame pie. Put it on your plate and be willing to humble yourself and take responsibility for your piece of the pie because it's in order to make sure that you're removing any potential obstacles that might get in the way of the reassembly process. Sometimes these things are not readily apparent to us because we're so emotional and we're so hurt and we're so frustrated by the situation that it's hard to see clearly. It's hard to sort through all of the noise of our emotions to understand what the truth is. But the reality and the good news that the Bible tells you is that you don't have to do it alone. You're not alone in this process because when we are genuinely seeking to love one another as Jesus has loved us, he said, Jesus promises us that he will be with us and that through the power of his Holy Spirit, he will be there to help us through the process. Right? Maybe you remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, verses 15 to 17. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Even if you're not sure this morning if God really answers prayer, I want to challenge, with, challenge you in your situations of relationship where you find difficulty and challenge and maybe brokenness. Would you challenge yourself to pray this simple prayer? Heavenly Father, please show me where I may be at fault. Please show me where I may be at fault. This is a hard prayer to pray especially when most of the pie is really on their plate. But this is the attitude that we see God inviting us to adopt as followers of Jesus, as children of the Heavenly Father. This is the attitude that we see displayed in King David in Psalm 139. We're in the midst of his prayer to God where he's praying and he's vowing to hate the enemies of God. At the very end, he still pauses and he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, because if that's the posture that we take before God, if that's the attitude that we begin the reassembly process with, then Jesus makes you and me a promise. If you're humble enough like Jesus is and willing to become self-aware enough about who you are and what situation you're in and sensitive enough to the Spirit's presence and being willing to not only trust that God is with you and guiding you, but as we sang this morning, being willing to obey what God will reveal to you. That you're willing to see it and to own it and to allow God to to take it away and to take responsibility for it, then Jesus says, you will see clearly. But that's not a period at the end of that sentence, right? Following Jesus never stops with what's in it for me. Whatever God is doing in me and doing in you in this regard, it means that, that it's towards an ultimate goal. It's towards the reassembly process where where His love and His mercy and grace is intended to be given away and bring healing and wholeness to our relationships. That's why He says at the end of that verse 5, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. See, recognizing and removing what's in my own eye first is what prepares me to be able to move toward you in a healthier way. Not to get back at you, but to get back to you. If there's something about me that's an obstacle to us, then I've got to cut my own slice of the blame pie and take responsibility for that so that we can get that out of the way and I actually can do something that might help the situation rather than making it worse. But this can be so hard, right? This is one of those things that it's easier to say than it is to do. When it comes to reassembling or repairing a relationship, it's hard because we, we, we have a thread of self-righteousness that runs through us. And we have a thread of self-defensiveness against that idea that we can be held responsible for any of these things. The reality is that self-righteousness gets in the way, while self-awareness begins to pave the way. And yet the tension between those two things in our own lives is where I believe God wants to continue to do His work in you and in me to teach you how to learn to see with his eyes to learn to love with his love and to experience the genuine freedom and the peace that comes from experiencing the power of his forgiveness and grace in your own life first because it's his grace and his forgiveness then that he invites us to give away to others on behalf of his kingdom Restoring or reassembling a relationship requires a willingness to become self-aware based on what God reveals the truth to be in our lives. So the first reassembly decision that we talked about was I will get back to and not get back at. The second decision that we're learning today is I will own my slice of the blame pie. (laughs) See, addressing and owning my part of the blame depends on me, and your part depends on you. That is what is within our control. And the more aware I become of what God has yet to do in me, the ways that I continue to fall short, the ways that I still don't measure up, the work that God still has to do to grow and mature my own soul and my own spirit, The more aware I am of that process, the less aware I am and the less concerned about what God has yet to do in the person that I'm trying to be in relationship with, because the focus is first on me. And so I commit to address the obstruction in my own eye so that I can see the relationship more clearly and I can actually be more helpful at solving the brokenness that we're facing rather than being part of the problem. If you remember, Paul said it this way in Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. You see, it begins by by praying to God. It begins in our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. God, if there's something that I need to own in this, would you please reveal it to me? Help me to see myself clearly in this situation so that I can see the situation more clearly. And then, no matter what the other person chooses to do, that may be the very beginning of freedom for you in your own relationship with God in your own understanding of who God is calling you to be. Because you can't do anything about what the other person's going to choose to do, but God will honor your willingness to sit before him in humbleness to allow the light of his love and his word to shine into your heart and your life to reveal those places that he wants to improve and to grow and to bring wholeness to your life. And the reality is it really begins with us being willing to do what we're really hoping that the other person is willing to do, right? Aren't we approaching these situations hoping that they're going to be willing to own their slice of the blame pie? Wasn't that our original starting point to begin with? But if we're not willing to do that ourselves, what we're convinced they should be willing to do in our relationship for us, what does that make us? I think Jesus had it right. (laughs) We're hypocrites because we're not willing to do what we know we should do and what we want them to do. So in our self-reflection with God, if we discover a log or a plank or maybe it's just a little sliver, you know, if it's safe and appropriate, you might need to consider sitting down and writing that letter to that person who you know you've been avoiding. You might need to send that email or make that phone call to take the first step to begin to to own something that maybe you can own that is a first step in bringing repair to the relationship. Maybe you need to invite them to go have that coffee. Because even if you believe your slice of the blame pie is a minuscule part of the whole pie, What we don't realize is that if we're willing in humbleness and humility that Jesus demonstrated to be the one who goes first, to be the one who's getting back to rather than getting back at, it takes the steam out of all of the temptation to go to our C4 toolkit. And by going first, whether we realize it or not, we may have the opportunity to unlock something in the other person's heart that they can't figure out how to unlock in their own wisdom and their own strength. They may need you to make the first move because they don't know how to do it or what to do. And the reality of walking with Jesus is that the more aware I am of what God is doing in me, the less I'm concerned about needing to be responsible for what God might still be doing in you. Men and women, at the bottom line, This is, again, an invitation to follow Jesus as his disciples in all of our relationships in life. Imagine what would happen in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace. Imagine what would happen in our nation. Imagine what would happen in our world if everybody stopped the finger-pointing stopped the accusation and the blame and the convincing and the convicting and the coercing and the controlling as their first step, and instead took a pause, had an honest look in the mirror, and was willing to come and say, here's what I need to own first. Do you think it would change the dynamic of how we live in relationship with one another? I think it would be a good start, wouldn't it? You see, after all, it's the person in the mirror That's the only person that you can do anything about. And the person in the mirror is the same person that Jesus came to get back to. To show you that he loves you. And he's with you. And he wants to help you. And he knows that it hurts. And he knows that it's hard. And he knows that people are mean and that we get hurt and that we feel betrayed and that relationships are tough. In fact, he went to the cross for all those same reasons. But he invites each one of us to learn from his example how to love one another as I have loved you, he said. So our invitation is to continue to follow Jesus together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you gently and yet firmly challenge us to some ways look above ourselves, to, uh, to not focus so much on our own hurts and our own perspectives, but to turn our hearts again to your word and to what you've revealed through your son Jesus about how we can understand that, that maybe we have some room to grow. Maybe there's more work that you're wanting to do in us so that you can continue to, to bless the world around us in ways that maybe we haven't fully understood. So God, I pray that you give us each the courage to to take the time in in these difficult circumstances, when we find ourselves in conflict, when when the next argument erupts, to, to be willing to take a pause and to come before you again in prayer and to really spend some time saying, God, if there's anything I need to own in this, would you just show that to me? Would you reveal that to my heart so that I can understand where you're working in me? And no matter what the other person chooses, God, I know that this is going to become a blessing in my relationship with you. And then, God, I pray that you allow us all to be examples who not only are willing to allow you to take the plank out of our own eye, but who can see clearly so we can help one another to discover a better way of pursuing healing and wholeness in the midst of the brokenness of our own relationships and lives in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Cove podcast. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Adam Johnson. For more information about our church community, visit faithcovesumner.com. Until next time.